This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Well, good morning again. I, um, I call myself a pastoral p- Padawan, so I'm still in training. So I would appreciate your grace. Um, so as Bo mentioned, Zach and Margarita are out of town, and I know that you guys have been going through the book of Micah, right? We're switching to the book of Genesis. It's the first book in the Bible. We'll be in the 16th chapter, Genesis 16. I've titled this sermon, We Serve a God Who Sees Us. We serve a God who sees us. Genesis 16. As you're going there, it's in the Old Testament, first book in the Bible. I want you to, oh, it's also in our bulletin. I want you to wonder the question, do you ever feel unseen? Like you're overlooked, not seen, not really known for who you are. This passage is going to have a lot to say to that. So read with me Genesis 16, starting verse 1. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It it lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, please give us eyes and ears to receive your word. Move your servant out of the way so that we can see and know you, Jesus Christ, more clearly and more fully. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. When my wife and I arrived to Puerto Rico, we went grocery shopping. I don't remember what the grocery store was called, but as we were walking through the grocery store, people would stop and they would wave at us. They were looking at us. They would see us. It was kind of cool. We felt famous. We were walking around getting stuff and people would just stop and look at us and and wave at us. Um, 
because we have a, a year-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Eliana. And so while we're walking through this grocery store, people are stopping to admire Eliana. It was extraordinary. I'm sure some of you parents have witnessed this. It's something about babies. You walk around grocery stores with a baby, and you feel famous. When you walk around by yourself, you don't get the same feeling. It's a little different. You know, this is cheesy, but we live in a world where seeing others and being seen really matters. Being known and knowing others really affects our, our, our social life, knowing that we're dependent on one another. In our passage, it would take too long to unpack all of it, but in our passage, Abram and Sarah, you notice, they didn't see Hagar. Perhaps they felt unseen by God, and so they didn't see her, because when they did see her, stuff happened that should not have happened. You see, God had promised Abram and Sarah a child through whom would come blessing to them and to the nations. Yet here they are in a peculiar moment in their story, wondering if God is really going to make it happen, if he's going to come through on his promises. How is it that God would provide a child in such old age? So what do they do? They take matters into their own hands, seeing Hagar only as a means to an end. So if you, if you, if you can imagine being Hagar, you might feel deeply unseen, the, the, the passage tells us that she's a female Egyptian servant, and that title comes up over and over and over, female Egyptian servant. And you have to understand, being a woman in this context was, was like second-class citizenship. But also, being a servant, you were the lowest of low class that existed. You, you, you worked for others, possibly for just food and shelter, not necessarily for wages. And Hagar was both, a female Egyptian servant. So you can imagine that Hagar must have felt unseen, unseen by others, possibly even by God. And this is important to highlight this context because this is where we connect with the passage. As God's people, even trusting and following Jesus, often we can feel unseen by him or by others. And so I believe our passage has something to say to us this morning about who our God is, that he's a God who sees those who feel unseen. Perhaps you came here this morning knowing that God is with you, but you're wondering, is God really for me? You feel like you're in a situation where Abram and Sarah were. You're in a peculiar moment in your story, wondering, is God really going to make a way? Perhaps at work. I don't know. I, I don't know. This is my first time I'm at this church. Perhaps in your marriage, in your friendships. Perhaps at school. Maybe you're looking towards a test, and you're like, I, I don't know if I'm going to pass that test. Or in your family, relationships with your family. I don't know. Or perhaps you're more like Hagar, thinking, not knowing that God is with you or for you. Like Hagar, you may feel like you're thrown overboard into waters, swarming with sharks, being yelled at to swim ashore as though you could. Maybe your story is full of trauma or wounds from your past. I don't know, but there's certainly something here. Perhaps if you're weighed down, feeling unseen, this passage has something to say to you. In fact, I, I, I believe one of the main purposes of Genesis 16 is to show us that we belong to a God who sees us. We belong to a God who moves towards us and lifts us up. And that's what we're going to focus on. There's three parts in this narrative. God sees us, he moves towards us, and he lifts us up. So first, God sees us. This is in the, in the section verses 1 through 6. I'm not sure if, if you noticed while I was reading it in verses 1, 3, and 4, God sees Hagar, and it's made explicit when others don't. Like, why am I saying this? 
Because we're receiving this passage, and we have Hagar's name. And, and who, who wrote scripture? This is God's word, right? This is my small travel Bible. This is God's word. Sorry, I usually have a bigger one while I'm preaching. But it's God's word, and we know Hagar by name because God included her in his book. And the Lord later himself, in the, in the second part of this passage, he actually names her. It's the Lord who names Hagar. And the narrator throughout is naming her. And this is in contrast to Abram and Sarah. I'm not sure if you noticed, but in verses 2, 5, and 6, if you look there, when they speak of Hagar, they only call her a servant. They say, servant, servant, servant. So to God, she is Hagar, but to them, she's a servant. And if you continue, God sees Hagar when others see her to use her. Look with me in verse 2. Verse 2, the Bible says, And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. And then verse 3 says, So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. I'm not going to go into the rated R stuff that the Bible is talking about. But when she is seen, she's being used as a means to an end. And Abram... Abram and Sarah are in on this. And, and this is important to point out. The Bible isn't saying this is a good thing because what's happening is that there are echoes to those of you who are avid readers of the Bible. In Genesis 11, there's this Tower of Babel story where, God's, where people try to build up their own name. And that same language is used in verse 2, the second part of verse 2. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, when Sarah says in verse 2, it is in verse 2. She says, I shall obtain. That's also the language of being built up. It's echoing the Tower of Babel, which if you know Genesis, that was not a good thing that people did. And also it echoes Genesis 3 when it says in the second part of verse 2 that she took and gave. That's the same language that shows up in Genesis 3 when man rebels against God. They take what they weren't supposed to take and give an object. And so our passage is exposing the sin of not seeing others as image bearers, not treating them as image bearers of God and the third thing, real quick in this first point, God sees us, is to notice that God sees Hagar in her distress. In that second, in verse 4, the second part of this first section, it says, And he went to Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarah said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. And that phrase, she looked on her mistress with contempt, in Hebrew, it means she's looking at her with dishonorable eyes. She's, she's, she's responding to how she felt unseen in, 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 in an action of unseeing. And there's too much to unpack there, but it's important to notice that God is seeing Hagar in this moment when she's feeling that. God is, is showing us this story and inviting us to experience and know that he's a God who sees us. He's a God who sees us. Later in the book of Genesis, there's a story. You guys might know this story. It's the story of Joseph. You guys know this story? He's, he's a young son among many, many brothers, and his dad favors him. He favors him so much that he gives him this robe, right? And his brothers notice. My dad values my, my brother Joseph more than he values me, and they notice. So what do they do? They take their brother, I mean, this is horrible, but they take their brother, and they're like, let's put him in a pit to die. And one of the brothers, like, like 
defends him, advocates for him, and says, no, 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 no. Instead, let's, um, they end up putting him, um, selling him to the Ishmaelites into slavery, and he becomes a slave in Egypt. But you also know the story that in Egypt, he actually becomes second in command um, to Pharaoh. So somehow, through, through the midst of all that hardship, of obviously being unseen, God gives us this story of Joseph that, that there's this moment at the end of his story, and I won't tell it all, but there's this moment at the end of his story where he says to his brothers who had done that to him, he looks at them and he says, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. How could he say that? He could say that because possibly he knew that God was with him and for him. That he, he, he had a God who saw him even in the midst of a pit. Church, are you here this morning knowing that God sees you? Knowing and living in light of knowing that God sees you. You're possibly thinking, well, what does this mean for us practically? It means that we ought to see others as God has seen us. As image bearers with dignity and value, seeing others as God has seen us. Do any of you know C.S. Lewis? He's one of my favorite authors. He writes in the, in, in the weight of glory. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. How can he say that? Because C.S. Lewis in the weight of glory is talking about being image bearers of God. Church, you are image bearers of God. God sees you with dignity and value. We should see others with dignity and value. But how? Maybe you're wondering, well, practically, what does it look like to see others as God sees us? In this story, in in Genesis 16, it's made explicit that God knows Hagar by name. And so I'm encouraging us. I, I know I'm a visiting pastor, but know one another by name. Know your neighbors by name. Know coworkers by name. And some of you are already doing this, I'm certain. Thank you. Thank you. This is honestly ministry. Jesus tells us in John 13, 34, he says, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And he says that to his disciples in the context after washing their feet. And in John 10, three chapters earlier in, John 13, in the book of John, he says, I know my own. So how has Christ loved us? He knows us. And he calls us to love others as he has loved us. Know one another. Know one another by name. And I know you're studying the book of Micah. In Micah 6, 8, I'm certain you're not there yet. Are you at Micah 6 yet? No? Okay. <laughs> Micah 6, 8 shows us God's heart in this. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. And that word can be translated with steadfast love. It's an, Jesus is echoing that language. Love one another as I have loved you and to walk humbly with your God. Church, we must see others as God sees others, reflecting his priorities as his people. But not only does God see us, I know I'm talking fast because Natalia said I only have 25 minutes. I'm used to preaching in 40 minutes. Um, I won't do that this morning, I think. Um, Not only does God see us, but he moves towards us. He moves towards us. Everyone say, God moves towards us. This is in verses 7 through 12. If you look with me, in, in, in verses 7, 9, 10, and 11, do you notice who shows up? It says the angel of the Lord. In verse 9, the angel of the Lord. In verse 10, the angel of the Lord. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord. 
If you guys are, 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 are knowing what Hebrew narrative does, when it repeats something, it's highlighting it. There were no highlighters back then. It's saying, listen, listen, listen. And, and the angel of the Lord, most theologians argue, this is God's presence himself. This is God here with Hagar. And what does God do when, when he shows up, when he moves towards her? He finds her and he speaks to her. He finds Hagar and he speaks to her. Look, look in verse 7. It says, The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, he finds her and he speaks to her. This story is, 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 is for us. This is God's word for us, knowing that God sees us and moves towards us. He finds you and he speaks to you. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm not Hagar. Yeah, that's true, but we've received this in God's word as a story that shows us God's heart. God's heart is a heart that sees us, finds us, moves towards us. And notice, God's, God moves towards Hagar with a message. God moves towards Hagar with a message. I don't have time right now to unpack. If you look in verse 9, it says, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. If you want to speak to me later, that is a peculiar message, especially in this context, isn't it? But it's actually good news, and I don't have time to unpack it, but he's inviting her in, in, into, into being saved, into having life. Because in this context, if, if, if you're a woman alone, especially with a child, you, you, you would die. In fact, in Genesis 21, Hagar gets kicked out again by Sarah. And in that context, I mean, you, you, you could look at it later. Genesis 21, she puts her baby under a bush. Um, but also note, this is important, this second point. Note that God moves towards Hagar with another message. He moves towards Hagar with a message in verse 10. He says, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude." And then he says, behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. Ishmael means God hears. And then it says, because the Lord has listened to your affliction... So not only does Hagar have a son, which in this context was fiscal financial security, but his name is Ishmael. So every time she uses his name, she's remembering, God hears my affliction. God sees and moves towards us, church. My, um, outside of the Bible, one of my favorite stories is um, Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans here this morning? Yes, a few. Amen. Um, Lord of the Rings has this one battle. It's called the Battle of Helm's Deep. It's in the Two Towers. And, and it's this crazy battle where they're in this castle. The, the fellowship, the good guys, are going against the bad guys. They're called orcs. And there are like millions, what looks like millions of orcs, coming in this, in, in, at, at this wall in this cornered-in castle. And the good guys on the, are, are in the castle. Um, and all these bad guys are coming. And you know it starts at night, and the battle goes through... through, through, through um, Midnight, it goes to one, you know, like the sun has already set and there are these orcs who are coming in. They break through this one wall and it seems like the good guys are going to lose. If you haven't seen it, watch it, Lord of the Rings. It seems like the good guys are going to lose. Those of you who've seen it, you know what happens next. This guy Gandalf comes when the sun is rising. He comes from this hill with reinforcements and he has this huge staff. He's like this new Gandalf. He's a leader who comes, um, and the orcs are flanked 
Long story short, the good guys win that battle <laughs> because Gandalf showed up. He, he came. And I know this is a cheesy connection to our passage, but it's important to feel that and know it, that actually Genesis 16 is telling us this is precisely who our God is. He's a God who sees you and he moves towards you because he sees and knows your affliction. He sees and knows some of your mundane, ordinary life, going to the same job, wondering why you're there. He sees that, and he moves towards you, and he's with you, and he is for you. Amen? What does this mean for us practically? Well, it means we must first recognize that God has moved towards us, and he's given us his word. So know God's word. Study his word. It will show you over and over that we have a God who sees us and moves towards us. He did in Christ, didn't he? So church, we must also move towards others as God has moved towards us. I don't know what this looks like practically for you all here at Trinity. I just have some imaginative things. There's, there's one thing in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 10, that invites us to have minds like Christ had. In Philippians 2, 1 through 10, we're told that Christ, though being God, became man. He moved towards us. And if he did that, Paul's encouraging us in Philippians 2 to have that same mind to move towards others as God has moved towards us. I invite you to imagine, because I don't, honestly, I don't know practically what it means for you all. But lastly, God not only sees us and moves towards us, but he lifts us up. And this is the last point. It's in the end of our passage in verses 13 through 16. Notice that the Lord lifted up Hagar. Look with me in verse 13. He lifts her up. Verse 13 said, So she called the name of the Lord, and that's, that's the revealed name of the Lord, Yahweh, who revealed himself to his people in Exodus. So she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing, which can also be translated, You are a God who sees me. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Here Hagar is moved is moved by knowing that he is a God who sees her. I mean, it's made explicit. And actually, if, if some of you study um, some of the, the Hebrew narrative, you will know that this is the first naming of God, and it's by a female Egyptian servant. And she names him, you are a God of seeing. And then she says, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Church, can you say that about God? Truly you have seen him who looks after you. You see, the Lord here at the end of our passage in verse 14, he's remembered as the one who sees. There's a well there. It's called the well of the living one who sees me. Bir lahoi roi. That's what that means in Hebrew. So God sees us, moves towards us, and he lifts us up. Some of you may know in the New Testament, there's a story where Jesus goes out of his way in his ministry to this woman at a well. She's a Samaritan, so, and he's a Jew. You're not supposed to do that. And he goes up to her, and, and he speaks to her. He sees her. If you read this in John 4, you'll notice that God in Christ moves towards the Samaritan woman to show her that he is a God who sees, moves towards her, and is interested in offering her living water. Why? Because he wants to lift her up and show her, you have a redeemer, and his name is Christ. I am him. He says that to her. God in Christ sees us and lifts us up. What does this mean for us? It means that we, are, we should be a church that sees others, moves towards them, and lifts them up. So I invite you, what does it mean for you to lift others up as Christ has lifted you up? 
You know, in closing, I just want to say the only way this is possible, church, the only way that we can even know that God sees us and moves towards us and lifts us up is by believing by faith that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh who has seen you, moved towards you, and lifted you up. Our New Testament passage, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, says that. I invite you to look at your bulletin. It's there. So we can say that God sees us because Jesus Christ went to the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was unseen so that you and I could be seen. We can also say that God moved towards us because Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, heaven on earth, the one who stooped low to be born under the law. If you read Galatians 4, it talks about that. And he lived a perfectly obedient life that we could not live so that we could receive righteousness. He died so that we could have life. And we can say that we were lifted up because Jesus Christ was lifted up. He was lifted up on a cross, dying for our sins so that we would be lifted up. Jesus Christ also, if you know the story continues, he was lifted up from the grave and ascended and is right now, where is Jesus? He's at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, and he's given us his Holy Spirit, which empowers us to see, move, and lift others up as he has seen, moved, and lifted us up. So would you, Trinity, see others, move towards others, and lift others up as God in Christ has seen you, moved towards you, and lifted you up? I know, I'm certain, I'm over time. I'm certain some of you may not, may not know Christ. I invite you to, to speak to me or speak to another leader. Admit that there's a longing in your heart. Take the step, it's just a step, and believe that possibly the Christ that's being offered in Scripture, the true Redeemer, sees you and he loves you. And confess, the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he will save us. I know most of you here do trust and follow Jesus. I encourage you to press on. I know I'm a visiting pastor, but press on. Press on. And seeing and moving towards others as God has seen, moved, and lifted us up. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you gave us the story of Hagar. Thank you that we can look on your word and see your heart for us. Jesus, we are lost without you. We need you as our Savior. So we confess now, Jesus, that you please would make yourself more clear and more known to those who don't know you, but also to us who do know you, that we would see you and know you more fully. Jesus, work in our hearts. Help us to see that you are our only Redeemer, and in you we have salvation. In you we have hope. Yeah, and Holy Spirit, I pray that you would empower us to see and move towards others and lift them up as you have seen move towards us and lifted us up. I pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen.